Hey, my name is J.D. Larson, one of the pastors at North City Church. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. I hope this inspires and equips you to love God more deeply and to love your neighbor as yourself. At North City, our mission is to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus, and we hope this message emboldens you to do just that in whatever space God has sent you to. Be sure to subscribe and keep in touch with the conversations North City is having. And if you want to find out more about our community, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram or online at NorthCityChurchMPLS.com. Enjoy the message. I'm so grateful to be with you all. We're going to continue our series in Romans. We've been reading through this letter uh, that Paul wrote to the Roman church together and uh, Krishnan uh, so beautifully started that conversation for us last week talking about Romans 12. I really encourage you to go and listen to that uh, if you haven't yet. Uh, we, we intentionally chose to start there because we sort of thought um, if there's a heart of this book, that's sort of it. What Paul's trying to communicate to the people there is not just in that chapter, but that's sort of the culmination of the arguments that he lays out for the church and for us today. So uh, today's going to maybe look a little bit different, maybe look a little bit more like a Bible study uh, where we just kind of go through, through some texts. Honestly, this, these three chapters sort of wreck my brain a little bit, not because they're wrong or anything like that. These are just some full, full words of Paul. There's a lot going on here and just frankly more than I can communicate uh, this morning. So what I hope to do is just look at a few of these verses with you and try to bring out stuff that may be important to us in our everyday life, may be important to us as we're trying to navigate the world around us. So I want to jump right in, if you're game, to verse uh, or chapter 1, and I want to go to verse 16 and read that. Before we get to that, you should understand a little bit about this book that we're about to jump into. As I said, this is Romans. This is a letter. A lot of the New Testament is letters from people to people. So you ought to know who this is to and who it's from and what the occasion is. So who it's to is the group of churches in Rome. And more specifically, these group of churches are a mix of Gentiles and Jews, as you'll see it says in the text. And there's a lot of tension going on between these two groups because it's still very early in Christianity. And they just among themselves are trying to figure out what Christ means, what Jesus, what his story, what his way of being that he taught his disciples, what believing in Jesus looks like in everyday life. And honestly, they're getting into some arguments about what they should and should not be doing uh, to pursue the way of Jesus, what worship uh dedicating one's life to the way of Jesus, pursuing God's leadership in one's life ought to look like in their life. And this is Rome that he's speaking into. So not only are they trying to decide what it looks like to follow the way of Jesus for them, but they're trying to decide that in the midst of this really pluralistic, this really diverse, this really um, uh, religiously uh I want to say rich, like there was a lot of worship of a lot of different things going on in that space. I don't mean rich in the positive sense. There was just a lot of things to worship and a lot of expectations put on these per these people that made them sort of a target because they weren't willing to worship those things. 
namely the emperor himself. Rome was sort of based off of the idea of Rome and Pax Romana were based off of this worship of the emperor as this sort of god or demigod uh, who was leading this uh, large-scale crusade to uh, bring peace to the world, which was usually through conquest. But in their micro everyday lives, they uh, would encounter temples to all sorts of gods in everyday life. So it was a really confusing space to know how to pursue the way of Jesus. And uh, our space is pretty confusing these days, isn't it? It gets pretty confusing about how to pursue the way of Jesus when there's so many messages about what I, what to give our lives to and how uh, to pursue um, being well in our life and uh, living the way that we ought to live. And that's what Paul is speaking into. That's what uh, part of what you need to understand. I just want to give a plug that I had a broader conversation about the book of Romans in more of a theological, biblical studies sort of sense uh, with one of my friends, John Dunn. And uh, we reported, recorded it as a podcast and put it on Facebook. If, if you're kind of into the Bible nerdy stuff, go for that. It's a really fun conversation uh, that I had with him. Let's jump in to this uh, verse that Paul is basically going to say, this is what I want to communicate to you in this book about. This is a truth that I want to speak in to the complexity of your situation. And it's a truth that is still uh, transformative for our space as well. So let's read it. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 16 through 17. It says this, For I, it's Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel, this good news. And that's actually a Roman word used to proclaim good news about what the emperor has done or about to do. Paul's stealing that language and the gospel writers steal it as well. Say, hey, this is better news about what God has done. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for that brings salvation to everyone who believes. That's a great explanation of the gospel. The power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Those are those two communities that I was talking about that are in conflict. For the gospel, the good news, the gospel, uh, for in the gospel, excuse me, the righteousness of God is revealed, made known. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, (laughs) I had a lot of fun this week. One of the things that I did, I don't post a lot on Facebook, but I posted uh, something that that we got in a conversation with a bunch of different people. Check it out on my Facebook pages. I asked the simple question, what is the honest thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word righteous? So go ahead in the comment stream right now. What, what's the honest thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word righteous? Now, we just read this text, so some of this might be coming to mind. Uh, but the, the comment stream I just found delightful, honestly. Some real honest conversation about not good things that come to mind when you hear the word righteous. But one of my favorites uh, was from one of our community members, Katie Eichelberger, who was the first to post, it was posted multiple times, this gif of, of, I think that's how, is it pronounced GIF or Giffy or, or GIF? You tell me in the comments. Uh, this GIF of Finding Nemo 
of these characters that are kind of surfer bros. They're turtles in Finding Nemo. And they say, righteous! I don't know if any of you have uh, been in a relationship with a surfer type person who may use the word righteous. Uh, also in that comment stream was uh, referenced the movie Bill and Ted, which I had uh, never seen before, just honestly. Had to, had to look it up. It was made uh, right about the time I was made. You can let me know if I should watch Bill or Ted or not. And that, that's a silly response, the first thing that came to mind. But one of the things that pointed out to me is that righteous, righteousness are not uh, terms that are in our vernacular. That means that they're not terms that we use in everyday life except for some of these instances of saying that was righteous or that was awesome. And that's really interesting to me because part of what I know about what it means to be human and what Paul is communicating here is that righteousness, uh, to be made right, is something we all long for. It's a longing that's deep in every part of our way of being. We as individuals long to be made right, long to come into wholeness, long uh, to be put back together, if you will, long to live in the way that we ought to live. Some of that is articulating us, us saying we want peace. We want justice in our life. We want things to be made right in our own hearts and our own spirits. And we look out into the world and our relationships, things are not right. Things are broken in our world and we long for relationships to be made right. And we look out even more broadly in our society and we see so much pain of things not being the way they are supposed to be. And we long for them to be the way that they ought to be. And we have a million different dependent, uh, opinions about how to pursue those things. And part of what I want you to understand about the context of this is Paul is speaking into the same dissonance, speaking into the same confusion, speaking into the same pain. And part of what he talks about when he speaks into that pain is he's saying that the good news is God's power to save us from that brokenness. The good news is primarily about God's own righteousness, God's own capacity to make things right. This idea of righteousness will actually come up in a couple different words in Romans. When you see justification or just or justice and righteousness, it's all the same Greek word. We just don't have a word that's good enough to encapsulate all of the meaning that the Greek word has. And it's this echo to this Old Testament concept about righteousness that, that, that is talking in part about this covenantal relationship that the people of God have with God himself. And they're supposed to be a covenant community. And this covenant is based on the covenant with Abraham that God says to Abraham, I will bless you to be a blessing to the nations and I will be your God. And they enter into this relationship where Abraham looks to God for leadership and by doing so becomes a blessing to the world. So for Paul to say, that the good news is about the righteousness of God. He's saying it's the good news is God has what it takes to fulfill that promise to Abraham, even if Abraham and his descendants and his children don't have what it takes to do that. And it says the righteous, righteousness of God, this righteousness will come to us through faith. We'll experience it through this trusting relationship with God. And you might be saying, hey, that's great. I've heard that before. Righteousness by faith or justification by faith. I get that. 
But what does that actually mean in my life? How does that solve the brokenness that I experience every day? And Paul makes an attempt of trying to answer that question next. The next move he makes at the end of chapter one is to talk about what's wrong in the world. That's why they're experiencing brokenness, why things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. And he talks about how God has this sort of anger along with you that things are not the way they're supposed to be. But then he gets to the source of why there's so much tension in the world, why things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And he talks about it's primarily about, it's, it's primarily about us worshiping the wrong things. It's primarily about us trusting the wrong things for righteousness. Let me explain what I mean by that. It's about trusting the wrong things to make us right. Here's what you need to understand about being human. Here's what Paul's trying to help these people understand about being human. Being human is, uh, being human is about being someone who worships. Being someone who trusts in something outside of themselves to make them right. That's why he says in chapter or in verse 25, he said, they, speaking of all humanity in some sense, and the Roman context, all of these idol worship that they see around them, and us in uh, ourselves who make these same mistakes, says we, they, exchange the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Part of what Paul's trying to say, if we want to talk about righteousness, if we want to talk about things being made right, we need to understand the fundamental problem that breaks things in our life. The fundamental problem that is the source to brokenness in our life. And he almost echoes back to the beginning story, the story of Genesis, the very first moment where brokenness and sin enter the world, where the serpent, who is this representation of evil, says to Eve, she, he says, did God really say? Did God really say? The beginning of our brokenness is a questioning of God's goodness and authority and capacity to make things right in our world. And when we question God's capacity to make things right within us and in our world, we go looking for other sources of authority to make things right in our world. This happens all the time. We go looking for other things to make uh, forms of brokenness in our own life right. This happens in my life all the time. I'll get super stressed about something that's happening in the world. And one of my go-to responses is to think through my financial future. Isn't that odd? Like I'm experiencing some stress in the present and I'll go learn a bunch about finances or something like that. Or I'll go uh, read a book about retirement or something like that. I am 32 years old and I'm thinking about that all the time. But this is just a demonstration of how my heart longs for something to be made right and I go looking outside of myself to fix it. I go look to give something to myself, uh, uh, give myself to something to hope to be made right in return. And what Paul is saying, this is the source of all brokenness, is that we give ourselves the thing, other things that are not God. And this is why uh, he goes into this 
breaking out of all of these, uh, often known as these lists of sin, lists of brokenness. And sadly, this part of Romans is used as this ruler stick, this, this, this like, see you're not measuring up sort of reality. And he goes on to list like sexual brokenness, uh, all sorts of, of malice, wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, this long list of brokenness in our world. And it's really hard. It's like cringeworthy scripture, if you will. It's really hard to read through because of many ways, the ways that it's been used. But what Paul is trying to in, in kind of a truth and love sort of way is point out to us when we give ourselves to other things in the world that are not God, ultimately what gets created is this sort of brokenness in our life. Now, here's a part of what's going on in the background in scripture. And I think insightful to us as Christians who are often labeled as judgmental. Paul is sort of speaking in these ways and you can almost hear in the background the Jews who are listening to this in the churches maybe where it was read for the first time, hearing these lists of sins and, and they're like, yeah, that's the Gentiles, man. That's the Gentiles who worship those sort of things. Look at all this Roman culture that we're around. All these, th- this is just utter uh, uh, depravity. This is utter brokenness around us. And then what happens next is Paul basically says, Do not judge. He says, you therefore have no excuse to pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge another, you will be contemning yourselves because you who pass judgment do the same thing. Another idol that we can create in our lives is this idol of knowing the right way to do things. Man, this has been the fault of Christians for centuries. We take God out of the equation and create a law for ourselves, a way to operate in the world that we make an idol, that we worship. And we judge ourselves and we look to that way of doing Christianity as the way to save us. And we need to understand that what Paul is communicating here is that this is an adventure and missing the point. And in the same way that these other forms of worship create brokenness in our life, that detracts or creates brokenness in and of ourselves. And it gets really dark. Just hang with me here because it's going to get better. But it gets really dark because in chapter 3, Paul goes on to say, no one's righteous. No one's experiencing being made right by giving themselves to other things. Even the law, he says, this backbone of what it meant to be a Jew does not ultimately in itself bring righteousness. He says the only thing that it really does is point out how messed up we are. So where do we go from here? This is a really heavy moment in Romans. And I know many people who've stopped and just said, I just can't handle this. It doesn't seem like there's much hope here. And maybe you're listening to this saying that like, J.D., you're just boiling up the same frustration that I felt over and over again. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to move forward. I don't know how to make things right. And this is where Paul communicates the gospel again. And I want to read this in 321 through 27. Hold on here because there's hope for what Paul is going to say into these communities that are fighting with each other about how to make things right and into our world where we long to be made right and make things right in the world. This is what he says about that. He says in verse 21 of chapter 3, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, 
to which the law and the prophets testified. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by grace, by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to receive to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his own righteousness. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and to, uh, to be one who justifies, same word as righteousness, those who have faith, same word as belief, in Jesus. Well, I mean, that's a lot in there, right? And you might be listening to that and saying, what just happened? That is both what I've heard a lot from Christianity, and at the same time, I don't completely understand what's going on there. I hope I can bring a little bit of understanding here. Paul is still talking about the righteousness of God. Essentially, what Paul is saying is that any attempt we make to make things right in our life on our own ultimately ends up in us giving ourselves to other things that won't ultimately make things right in our life. He's essentially saying, all of us have sinned, missed the mark, and fallen short of the glory of God. The, the awesomeness that God wants for our lives and the glory that is who he is. Here's one thing, North City, that I want us to understand about what's being said in Romans here. All of us desire righteousness. All of us desire to be made right. What Paul is definitely arguing is that we cannot do that on our own. We cannot do that ourselves. We will ultimately go looking for things in our life to make us right that are not God. And those things will ultimately lead to brokenness. But here's the good news about who Jesus is. The good news about who God is. He is righteous. And what that righteousness means is that he is able to choose the right thing. He is able to choose sending his son to take on all of our mistakes, all of our brokenness, and to restore us to relationship with him. And I think when we ask what righteousness means, what it means for us to be made right, what Paul is arguing that it starts with relationship. See, the problem that Paul is trying to counteract is that righteousness is not transactional. Righteousness is relational. Let me say that again in a different way. Making things right is not transactional. Making things right is relational. Ultimately, the good news is that by being in relationship with God, it's always been the good news from the beginning, being in right relationship with God, being in covenantal loving relationship with God, walking through the cool of the day in the garden with God where we have full trust in Him to be the author of our lives, that we fully trust in Him to uh, show us how life ought to be in our own lives and in the world around us, brings righteousness. 
And history, our own personal history and the history of the world has proven that we don't have within us the ability to continually choose that sort of relationship. And when we don't choose it, we perpetuate brokenness in the world. We perpetuate sin in the world and we make the world worse for ourselves and for everyone around us. And we don't have the capacity to fix that. And so another layer of God's righteousness is that it was right for him to come and judge the world to say, this is broken. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And there are consequences that are happening in real time across history about the broken, uh, from the brokenness that has been perpetuated by people worshiping things that are not God. And instead of putting all of that judgment on us, he did the right thing. Part of his righteousness looks like him suffering, him bearing the consequence on the cross in Jesus for all of that brokenness. His verdict is mercy, as we talked about last week. His verdict is to take on all of the barriers that stand between us and things being made right onto himself. And more than that, he invites us into relationship with him so that in an abiding way and later on in Romans he'll talk about this he gives us his spirit so that we have guidance in everyday life to participate in a relationship with him that is the source of righteousness to be made right is to be in right relationship with God And we don't get that right all the time. We don't choose that all the time. But God has forgiveness and grace for us. That's why it says we are justified freely by grace. It was grace for Jesus to take the fall for us. It was grace to take on all the consequences that our brokenness and our bad choices create in our life. And it's by grace that we live. I hope that you can hear that today. I hope that you can hear that the righteousness of God is not transactional, it's relational. That you can experience being made right. You can experience righteousness by experiencing a relationship with God. And God gives that freely, doesn't hold anything against you, and invites you into a relationship with Jesus as the basis of how we make the wrong things right in the world today. So what does this mean for us? That was just like a ton of theology that we just went through there. And hello, welcome back. Come back if your brain was you know, broken like mine has been all week. Come back here and just receive the simple truth that Paul is trying to communicate to people today and people back then. That we all have fallen short. That we all go looking for ways to make things right in our life, in our world, outside of the authority of God in our life, the authorship of God in our life. But because of God's righteousness, because God is so good, so loving, so merciful, he took the fall for that. He uh, dealt with all the consequences of those mistakes, all the consequences of those brokenness, the brokenness that we experience, the, the brokenness that's done towards us and the brokenness we see in our world around us. And he invites us into his righteousness by faith, by faith. This word pistuo, which is like trusting relationship, trusting covenantal relationship where we trust God for the things we need in our life and the direction. We trust God to make things right in 
our life. So what does this mean for us? A couple different things I think it means. I've been reading through this book, Essentialism, and it's got this phrase in it that I love. It says, if you do not prioritize your life, someone else will. Another way to say that is if you don't pay attention to what you're giving worth to in your life, if you don't pay attention to what you're giving your life to in hopes that it will be made more right, that you will experience more peace, then someone else will decide for you. Some other distraction, some other temptation in the world will garner your attention and ask you to give yourself to it. Money, power, success, all of the strongest forces in our life that speak to us and say, did God really say, why don't you give yourself to this career? Why don't you give yourself to this relationship? Why don't you give yourself to this sexual experience or sexual temptation? Because it will make you right. If we don't prioritize what we're giving ourselves to or who we're giving ourselves to, it will be given to someone else. Paul isn't inviting us to have faith. Faith, in some sense, is prioritizing who we're worshiping. Faith is prioritizing who has authority in our lives to direct where we're headed, to tell us who we are. Some of you might be listening to this and going, man, this is theologically rich. I think I understand this, but what in, what in the world does this actually look like in my everyday life? And I've been wondering the, sort of the same thing and just what this means for me. And as a way of talking about that, I thought I'd just read for you a portion of my prayer this week uh, as I've been thinking about this and just as I'm living everyday life. So uh, this is a prayer that I just wrote out. Sometimes I write out my prayers to God. And the title is, Jesus, I'm Tired. I'm emotionally and mentally tired. I don't think I have fully come to terms with the facts that surround me. Pandemic, demanding children in my home all the time, trying to live an egalitarian, live out an egalitarian work-partner balance, planting uh, as a white male in a diverse neighborhood, trying to sustain and invest in a marriage that's so meaningful to me that's seven years old and a new baby on the way. It's a lot. I'm tired. But I'm here. My fatigue makes it hard for me to muster the strength to trust, to care, to be present to the demands of my life. There are things that are not right in me. I know it. Some are hard to name, too subterranean in my being to know plainly. Others are clear. God, I'm afraid. I'm prideful. I'm selfish. I'm often greedy. I wish I could say, God, that my first impulse is to always look to you and your leadership. But I go looking for relief in my pain in so many other places, in TV shows, in fantasies about making more money, about endless consumption of news and information, looking for some reassurance outside of myself. Fill in the blank. I just want peace. I want a sense of wholeness and balance and calm. I think that's righteousness. I think I want that. You are righteousness. That is to say that in you and in and of yourself, 
you are whole, right, and good, and holy. But that also is to say that those in relationship with you, by your power and your person, because of what Jesus did, we experience righteousness in relationship with you. Yeah, I don't think I'm ever fully, I've ever fully experienced that sense of peace apart from you, God. It's in you, in conscious pre, uh, consciousness of your presence, in the joy of your salvation, in the company of your family, people saved by your grace, people who don't take, uh, who take you seriously but don't take themselves too seriously. It's there I feel most at home, safe known, loved, free from my mistakes, liberated from my shame. You did that for me. You did that for us. You saw how I, how we choose other things, things that perpetuate the very brokenness you are actively working to extinguish in our world. I've rebelled against your kingdom, but in Jesus, you still and always will offer me citizenship, a place in your family. I'm the prodigal son. Jesus is always paying my debts and you are always throwing me welcome home parties. That's what this has sounded like in my relationship with God this week. North City, I hope, that we can start relying on the grace of God. I hope that we can stop judging ourselves in the world and start inviting them into relationship with the one who's truly righteous, the one who's made the right choice to show us grace and mercy and that they will be transformed by that relationship just as we're hoping to be transformed by that relationship. Hey, this is Pastor Christian Ann of North City Church. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. We hope you feel more empowered to love your neighbors in the way of Jesus. If you have thoughts or questions, we would love to hear from you. You can leave us a voice message on our website, northcitychurchmpls.com backslash sermons. Learn more about the North City community there as well. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. A special thanks goes out to Ben Noble for the music on this podcast. If you haven't heard Ben Noble's music yet, check it out at bennoblemusic.com. Let me send you into your day with this blessing. May God give you the eyes to see and the ears to hear all that God is doing in the world around you. And may he give you the courage to respond. Amen.